Luke chapter 13 is where we're going to be, if you'll open your Bibles um, there. And let's just jump right into it. Let me ask you a question as we're jumping into it. Who here has ever asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever wondered that? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Jesus is actually going to shed some light on that in our text today. I'm not going to treat the subject exhaustively, but he's going to shed some light on that. And, you know, really the focus of the text today is on the coming judgment of God and of man's need for repentance. That's the focus of the text, but really the larger focus is on the grace and the long-suffering of God. Just what a gracious, long-suffering, patient God it is that we serve. How he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And that makes this text that we're just naturally falling into here through our teaching through the, the book of Luke, that makes this text a great focus leading into Thanksgiving week, right? Because here we are, you know, we're going to be giving the Lord our thanks and praise and baptisms today, but we're coming up this Thursday celebrating Thanksgiving. And, and so, you know, just we've got a lot to be thankful for in a loving, merciful God who was so patient with us and who gave to us what we didn't deserve, but what Jesus deserves. Um, and so, so great lead in for that. And with Thanksgiving four days away, I thought I would approach this text, Luke chapter 13, through the lens of Thanksgiving. And so let me start here. I'm going to put a scripture on the screen for you. Colossians 3, verse 15 and verse 17. It says this, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful... That's our operative word. And he, he continues in verse 17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving, here it is again, thanks to God the Father through him. This word thankful and its cousin thanks there in verse 17, it means this. Here's the idea of it. It means to be mindfully grateful. It means to bear in mind. It means uh, to be inclined to be aware. In other words, thankfulness isn't just an emotion that we experience passively. It's a response that results from a conscious choice and a conscious focus. Uh, This is where we mindfully choose to be thankful of God's goodness and of God's blessing upon us. Now, when we talk about God's goodness and we talk about God's blessing, it's important that we define our terms. Because a lot of people might equate God's goodness and God's blessing with our circumstances and our stuff. You know, oh, God is good, and, you know, my circumstances are good, my stuff is good, God's blessing me. But listen, God's blessings really don't have anything to do with our circumstances and our stuff. Really, what we're going to see today, Jesus, really, through this teaching, is going to be reminding us of what it is the true blessing that God has come to give to us, that Jesus came to to give his life as a ransom for many. And that true blessing being God's patience and his long-suffering and his mercy. And we're going to see God's goodness today in our story through two stories of tragedy and a parable that talks about God's long-suffering for us. So we'll just jump right in. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. It says, There were present at that season some who told him 
about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. Jesus, we've just left him teaching to the multitudes, and this probably is on another occasion. He's gone on from the, addressing the group. He has been addressing what we've been looking at for the, the last several weeks through chapter 12. And so it would seem now that there's uh, those present with him wherever it is that he is here now, somewhere possibly in the region of Galilee or maybe even on his way towards Jer- Jerusalem. And there are those there, and they're telling him about this situation where there was a group of Galileans uh, whose blood, it says, Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What on earth does that mean? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us why the event occurred. Um, The details of the event are lost to history, but here's what we know historically. We know that the Galileans, the people from the region of of Galilee, were notoriously hot-headed people. And at this time, the Roman government had occupied, uh, Ro- uh, had occupied Jerusalem and, uh, and the nation of Israel there living under occupation. They chafed at it, um, and they hated the fact that these, the, that these Gentiles, that these pagans were in the Holy Land. And so most of the ro- revolts against the Roman government, in fact, happened in the area of Galilee, And apparently there were some Galileans, according to verse 1 here, that uh, were involved in an uprising against Rome, Um, some some sort of of an uprising there. And what Pilate did uh, was he sent in troops to put down this uprising. And it would seem that when the soldiers came in, the Galileans were actually in the act of worship, probably there in the act of making their sacrifices to God. And so as they were making the sacrifices to God and, and um, you know, the slaughtering of the animals and the shedding of blood and, and all for the, for the covering of sin, which was really a picture to point forward, to look forward to Jesus whose blood would be shed for our, for our sin. And so probably that what's happened is as they're in the middle of this uh, sacrificing and the shedding of blood of these, of these innocent animals and all, that... Pilate sent in the troops and slaughtered them right there, right as they were at the altar making these sacrifices. And so their blood was then mingled with the blood that was being shed in this act of worship. And of course, to the Jew, it was a super heinous thing that was going down. So this is kind of what's in view in verse 1. Verse 2, and Jesus answered and he said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but because you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And now Jesus gives another example. He says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Again, another event we don't have the details of, but clearly there was a tower that collapsed suddenly and killed a bunch of people in Siloam there. Um, And um, Jesus says, Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, let me hit the pause button real quickly. What we've been going through, right, the last several weeks, Jesus has been uh, focusing his attention on the afterlife. And and so 
He's warning the disciples how they are to beware of hypocrisy and to beware of covetousness and to beware of worry and that they are to beware of being spiritually dull. And he reminds them of his mission and he rebuked the multitude for their lack of discernment and he recommended that everybody needs to get right with Jesus. Don't wait till you die and then you go before the judge, man. Get right with Jesus today. This is where we have been. And now Jesus addresses really this age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? And in case you missed it, Jesus gives us the answer there in verses 2 and in verses 4. He says in verse 2, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? He says in verse 4, do you think that they, speaking of the people killed by the tower in Siloam that crashed down, he says, do you suppose that they were worse sinners, and again he uses the same phrase, than all other men who dwelled in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is saying, he's lumping them all together, and, and he's saying, do you think that there's something worse about those people than there is about you? is what he's saying. You see, the, the issue here, obviously, the Jews aren't asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? No, they're asking really what is the same question, but they're just coming at it from the opposite angle. What they're asking is, uh, <laughs> they're saying, what bad thing did those people do to deserve what happened to them? And and the issue here is that both of these questions stem from the same flawed assumption. Whether it's why do good things happen to bad, or or bad things happen to good people, or hey, what bad thing did those people do to deserve being judged? It's just coming from opposite ends of the same spectrum. It's opposite ends of the same flawed assumption. And here's the, the assumption. The flawed assumption is that there are good people and there are bad people. And the issue here, what Jesus says, is it doesn't work that way. He says there's no good people, there's only sinners. Right? Jesus says everyone's a sinner, whether tragedy befalls you or it doesn't befall you. It it, it doesn't matter. He makes it abundantly clear. Uh, Are they worse sinners than all other men? Is what he asks in both instances. And so the issue here, what matters, Jesus says, is, is not, hey, whether you know, you're worse or whether you're better or whether you're good or whether you're bad. It's not about that. The thing that it, Jesus is saying is what matters is how you live in light of eternity. That's what he's saying. Two times he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now that word likewise in your, in your Bibles, it literally means in like manner. And what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying, oh, you know, likewise, you're going to have a tower fall on you, or likewise, you're you're, going to, you know, have some troops come in and slaughter you. That's not the idea. What he's saying is, likewise, there's a suddenness to their death, and he's saying the suddenness of their physical death is a picture of a spiritual truth. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, likewise, unless you repent, likewise, you're going to face the same thing. Their physical death is a picture of spiritual truth, right? And what is the spiritual truth? Well, the writer of Proverbs puts it well, Proverbs 28, 18, whoever walks blamelessly will be saved, but he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. Again, the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 15 says, the unrepentant 
will be destroyed suddenly, broken in an instant beyond all hope of healing. Here's the deal. Listen carefully. At the end of the day, we are all sinners, every last one of us here, by nature and by choice. And our life is like a vapor. James says it's here for a little while, and then it is gone. And death comes to all men. But Jesus' message here is that, look, death's going to come to all men. It's going to be sudden, but spiritual death doesn't have to be that way. Your life spiritually doesn't have to end. But the only hope, Jesus is saying, is repentance. Jesus, uh, Romans uh, 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so in the broader sense, in the text right here, in these first uh, few verses, that's the focus, that there is a coming judgment of God and, and mankind needs to understand that God is coming and that he needs to repent. Every one of us in this room needs to repent. That's the, the focus of the text. But the larger focus of the text with an emphasis on thanksgiving and an eye towards thanksgiving and an eye towards the joy of the baptisms that we're going to be partaking in today, the larger focus on the text is on the grace and on the long-suffering of God. And Jesus now illustrates it in this parable. He also, verse 6, spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Then, verse 7, he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well... But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Now, I want you to see there are three characters in this parable. There is the owner of the vineyard. That is a picture of God the Father. There is the keeper of the vineyard. That's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is the fig tree. And the fig tree is a picture of the nation of Israel. By the way, today, it's a picture of you. Uh, I'm not preaching replacement theology here. I'm just saying that in this parable, it is both reflective of Israel and it is reflective of you. I want you to notice that the owner of the vineyard, God the Father, he demands fruitfulness, but that the fig tree is unfruitful. And listen, that's a problem. And the reason it's a problem is because Jesus said that the fruit of our life is an indicator of whether or not we're saved. Right? He said that we are to bear fruit, Matthew 3, 8, in keeping with repentance. Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 20, he said, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. He said a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, Jesus says, so you can identify people by their actions. James put it this way in James 2.26, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. There has to be a correlation there. Now, what exactly is the fruit 
that God is looking for? Well, we see a partial list in Galatians chapter 5. It tells us there the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are fruits of the Holy Spirit. That, that is that if you have invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in your life and, and he makes you into a new creation. The Bible says old things pass away. But behold, all things become new. This is what we will be saying when we baptize people today. That the old nature is done away with once we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in our life. We're born again, made a new creation, and as a new creature in Christ, then we will start to bear these types of fruit. Now the Bible also gives us a list of what is not a fruit of the Spirit, but what is rather the fruit of the old nature, our sin nature. And basically it says this, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. I mean, so that, that just may, might even be a list of something that, like, you drive to church today. <laughs> like, you're like, holy moly, you know, just in my way here. You know, some days are like that. God have mercy on us. He goes on, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Scary, living that life, what, what it means in the original language is an active, ongoing practice. That that's the habitual lifestyle that you're living. This isn't a, oh, I had a bad day on my way into church and somebody cut me off. And so, you know, now quarreling, jealousy, yelling at somebody. It's not talking about you having a bad day, although that is truly living in the flesh, not living according to the spirit. But what, what Paul is talking about here to the Galatians, he's talking about an active, ongoing lifestyle. And we have to examine the life that we're living and go, am I really in the faith? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, or is it these acts of the flesh that are, that are, that are so obvious? Paul gives a, an expanded list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong, again, active, ongoing lifestyle practice, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling. Here's how you're made right with God. Not doing good and trying harder, but by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So God, the Father, the owner of the vineyard, he demands fruit. And the fig tree in our text is not producing fruit. That's a problem. And so what does Jesus, the keeper of the vineyards, do? Listen, he doesn't give up on the fig tree. He says, give me more time. Let me dig around and let me fertilize it. And I want to give you a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us so that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He suffered, he died, he was buried. And so what do we see here in this analogy? What does the keeper of the vineyard do? He says, give me more time, let me dig around the tree, let me fertilize the tree. How does Jesus dig around and fertilize us? Listen, he dug his own grave. He fertilizes our life with his very life. That's the idea. And this is what I want you to see in going into Thanksgiving. And as we look at our text today, we say, wow, this is a, this, where's the Thanksgiving? And you better repent or you're going to hell. No, the Thanksgiving is God loves you and doesn't want you to go there. And he is long-suffering. He's patient with you, not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. See, that's the larger focus. It's on the grace and the long-suffering of God. 2 Peter 3.9, I've quoted it, tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm so grateful for the Lord's long-suffering in my life. Those of you that have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, aren't you grateful? for how patient he was with you, how long-suffering he's been with you. We have this beautiful picture in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34, we read this. It says, when they had come to the place called Calvary, we're, you know, we are a Calvary chapel here at Reliance. Calvary sounds like such a great name. It means place of the skull. That's what it means. Geographically, the place where Jesus was, was nailed to the cross looks like a skull. You can go back to Jerusalem today. You can see it there. At the foot of this place of the skull in Jerusalem now is a bus station. And I think, how appropriate. You got a bus station at Calvary, a place where you can be transported from death to life. Now, Jesus there, they took him to this place called Calvary, the place of the skull, and there they crucified him, Luke 33, 23, Crucified him, and the and they crucified the criminals. Jesus crucified like a common criminal. One on the right and the other on the left. And here's what I want you to hear. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. How long-suffering, how loving is God? It's been said that Jesus became what we are, that we might become what he is. Thank you, Lord. Yesterday I was asked to officiate a funeral for a kid named J.T., JT came to our service on Easter, April 1st of this year, April Fool's Day. But JT was no fool on that day. He came desperate for God. And on that day, I gave an invitation. Listen, some of y'all, you need to understand that we are all sinners by nature and by choice. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And apart from Jesus Christ, you will suffer physical death and you will suffer spiritual death for all of eternity. That's the truth of God's word. But the Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior today, if you call out to him, if you raise your hand, you'll be saved. Well, that's the message I gave on that Easter Sunday. It's the message I give here on this Sunday. JT raised his hand to receive the Lord. He had no idea. He had no idea. In a very short few months, he would come face to face with his maker. 
Listen, tomorrow's promise to nobody. Your life is a vapor. You're here for a little while and then you're gone. But listen, here's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came, um, became what we are so that we might become what he is. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so on this Thanksgiving, folks, we are reminded to be mindfully grateful, to bear in mind, to be inclined to be aware, to be consciously making a choice and to be focused on the grace of God and on the mercy of God, on the long-suffering of God, that he's a good God, and we're reminded of that in our text today. Amen.